This is Wading Deep, a podcast that explores the connection between environmental justice and race. Racism pollutes our people and land. Resilience, our strength of spirit and hand. Resurrection, our healing, made whole we stand. I'm your host, the Reverend Jamon Taylor, rector at St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, a congregation with a long history of challenging environmental racism. I am honored to welcome as today's guest, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina, the Right Reverend Samuel Rodman. Welcome, Bishop Sam. Thank you, Father Jamond. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm excited about having conversation on this topic. In preparing, I was reviewing your diocesan priorities. You have five priorities, and it's interesting that uh, the first listed is racial reconciliation, um, and another one is creation care. That's the perfect intersection when you talk about environmental racism. Could you speak about your diocesan priorities, why at least these two are important? Sure. Uh, these have been priorities that really emerged early on in my time here, and in some respects, were part of the discernment process, even leading up to the election. Uh, loud and clear was a desire on the part of the people of North Carolina to better understand, articulate, and face the history around the ways that we have engaged in, um, unfortunately, in uh, participated in systemic um, racist actions that have directly affected and impacted our, our people of color, and in particular, African-American members of the Episcopal Church in this diocese. And we chose anti-racism work, racial justice, uh, moving towards reconciliation, but with an emphasis on justice as our first priority, because we recognize that because of the systemic nature of um, the kind of patterns of racism, bias, and discrimination that permeated um, much of our society, and we continue to struggle with today, we needed to make that the first priority in our missional work. Because if we didn't do that work with intention and clarity up front, all the other work we attempted to do would still be, uh, in essence, poisoned by that reality. And so there are other priorities, as you mentioned, but one of the other uh, of the five is creation care. And while I hope I made clear the urgency around the work with respect to anti-racism, uh, close on its heels in terms of urgency is care for creation because we see signs all around us of the distress that our planet is in. And um, if we don't respond in proactive ways to reducing our carbon footprint, um, to uh, addressing the cataclysmic impact, address the cumulative impact of the abuses of creation that have been visited, visited upon the earth by uh, the proliferation during the industrial age, we're going to be um, continuing uh, to struggle 
with the impacts of climate change. Um, and we live that every day uh, and it's apparent locally as well as globally. And we know that if we don't take better care of our planet, that in fact, um, it's not gonna be around um, and we won't be able to sustain life here, let alone sustain uh, the life of the church and the ministry and the mission that we're called to. So um, these two are high priority of an urgent nature and they are linked um, as, as you know well from your own history. So let me pause there and uh, let you um, ask some other questions. I appreciate that, Bishop Sam. Thank you for laying out, at least enumerating two of the, the diocesan priorities of, or part of the mission strategy. Um, I'm wondering for, for those who perhaps are not in the church, um, why is it important for Christians to, to care about such things? Um, creation care, racial reconciliation. And maybe for those who are even in the church um, may even ask, you know, why are these important? You know, is there any theological basis for that? So there definitely is a, a theological basis, a, a biblical, uh, more than an invitation, really, I would use the word imperative. Um, and first and foremost, all of our priorities are under the umbrella, if you will, or under the banner is probably a better word of becoming beloved community. And um, one of the fundamental elements of beloved community is recognizing as we do and it's embedded in our theology that every person is made in god's image and therefore every person is sacred and holy as a child of god uh, racism and and white supremacy uh, are exactly uh, counter to this understanding of who we are as human beings and as god's children and so where we experience um, expressions of racism and white supremacy, the church needs to be prepared not only to speak out, but to take action. And um, this is clearly in keeping with the teachings of Christ. It's clearly in keeping with the way of, uh, of love that he not only articulated, but embodied in his teachings, in his healing, in his life here on earth. We are trying to be faithful disciples in following that example and his call, but also in paying attention to the importance of justice as a part of the reconciliation process. If there isn't truth telling about our own history, just as in confession for the individual, if we don't uh, own our responsibility for our actions and ask forgiveness and amendment of life, um, then we don't really enter into the full potentiality of change in the context of God's love and grace. The same invitation exists for us as a body, as a community, or as an organization or an institution. That work is harder because it's systemic and it's multi-layered, uh, but it's the same process. We have to tell the truth about our history. We have to own our responsibility. We then have to live into um, an active engagement in amendment of life um, to ask God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of those who have been harmed and move ourselves and our, our organization, our, um, in this case, uh, the body of the church in a different direction. Um, so it's deeply biblical 
as is creation care. Uh, we know well from the very earliest days of the Genesis story that we have been made by the gift and the grace of God stewards of creation. And in order to be faithful stewards, and by the way, as we both recognize, that means we don't own anything um, in this world, but we are responsible for the care and uh, the upkeep and um, the good stewardship of creation. And some have understood this in a way that I think um, has been interpreted as we have the right to dominate creation and to use it for our purposes, but that doesn't resonate for me with the biblical record and the invitation to really care for creation because it is the source of our well-being and our lives um, on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis on this earth are dependent on our care for the earth and its resources. So solid uh, biblical background for these two priorities that are linked in the work that you're doing at St. Ambrose. Yeah, I wanna zero in on that term dominate. And I think that really is an important word when we think about both, we said becoming beloved community, racial reconciliation, anti-white supremacy work and creation care. Uh, what we can say is that one of the operations of white supremacy is to dominate, uh, whether it's to dominate human bodies, i.e. enslaving people or committing genocide against indigenous people, or to dominate space, to control land, uh, i.e. ravaging the environment. And so what we see in the history of St. Ambrose is um, an attempt to dominate. Uh, if we go back to our founding in 1868 in a neighborhood in Raleigh called Smoky Hollow, that is where freed black people, freed people of color lived during the institution of slavery. Um, it was called Smoky Hollow because it was near the train depot and the constant noxious gases from the train smoke pervaded the area. And even though we don't have medical data, we could assume reasonably that respiratory disease and illness was higher there than in other parts of Raleigh where there was fresh air. But because the, the area was low lying and there was always smoke around, uh, the majority population had no desire to live there, so they didn't. And it was a place where Black people could live. So that intersection between environmental uh, racism um, and environmental injustice, racial um, uh, racism and environmental injustice. And then you look at uh, St. Ambrose's third location in Rochester Heights, the area zoned for Black people to live by the city council in 1956 during segregation is in the Walnut Creek wetland area where the city of Raleigh dumped raw sewage for 70 years and was a de facto dumping ground. Again, an undesirable place for the majority or the white community to live. And yet this is the place zoned um, for Black people to live. So in our history, two of our three locations have been in places that have been negatively impacted by human beings on the environment. And one could even argue that our second location, which was at Wilmington and um, Cabarrus Street in the Third Ward area near Shaw University, um, the land on which we built the church when we moved it 
was a place where a tobacco barn um, and warehouse stood for years and burned. Um, so it could be described even at the second location as um, a place of environmental injustice, that this, this was not a, a desirable place where the larger majority population wanted to live, and yet this is where um, the church was located. So I think that intersection of trying to dominate humans, um, i.e. racism, uh, trying to dominate the environment, i.e. Um, uh, neglect of creation care, work together. And it, it is that domination that we see as the operation of white supremacy. So thank you for, for lifting up domination. Yeah, and I think that history that you share and that tragic tale uh, unfortunately is repeated again and again, as you know, in other contexts um, and drawing, uh, connecting the dots, using the word domination to connect the dots, I think uh, underscores uh, what too often has been the result of discrimination, uh, uh, white supremacist uh, attitudes and actions and the way that uh, governments through zoning uh, or markets through real estate have uh, participated and capitulated in that kind of uh, discrimination that has multi-layered impacts. Um, and as, as you pointed out clearly, um, dominating the land, dominating people, uh, and visiting abuses both of creation and of humanity um, is, is a part of the, the really painful and difficult history that we are trying to look at and face into as a diocese now and to recognize um, even where the church uh, has had a hand in that. Um, I do think that as far as the work that we're committed to doing that uh, as awful as that um, journey that you described is, um, as we look ahead, we're looking for ways to create a different path and to chart a different way forward and to um, through our uh, creative dreams and imagination like you and your team um, to actually create a different journey for God's people and especially um, for the people of this community that you serve so well. So uh, I think that's one of the exciting things about the initiative that you received the grant for. It is exciting. And when I think about the work and ministry of St. Ambrose, it is the ministry of resurrection. And we as Christians are all called to the ministry of resurrection um, through our baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I think about Walnut Creek Wetlands, which um, before um, uh, European engagement was pristine, um, when I think about going from there, to being a dumping ground for sewage, dumping ground for, for garbage, um, to it being zoned as a place for black people to live, even though it was flood prone, prone it's a wetland. Um, and then I look at the people who were the residents, who are the residents, those black people, partnering with the city and nonprofits to help restore the wetland um, and now with this grant, we see the environment helping serve to heal the very community that helped give the wetlands life again. 
And I think that's just an interesting arc from pristine to devastation to restoration, not by the people who devastated, but by people who have been devastated themselves. Mm -hmm. And now that the wetland is being restored, it is the wetland itself that is helping to be a healing agent through horticulture therapy, through the spiritual path of the labyrinth to bring healing both emotionally, mentally, and physically to the residents um, who happen to be uh, Black people and people of color. I think that that's, the, that's certainly a Christian story and that's a biblical story and it's a story of resurrection. Yeah, it, and it matches, um, and I love the way you frame that. For me, going back to the biblical record, um, if you start in the garden where, uh, where, where God's children were walking with God, that's literally, um, you know, the story tells uh, God spent every evening walking with Adam and Eve um, until after the fall. And um, God's deep desire is to walk with all of us as God's children. And for that intimate connection and conversation and movement together. Um, and then after the disobedience and the fall and, and the chaos that ensued and the sinfulness uh, that really uh, dominates um, the, the human story and, and our human history and the kinds of abuses and discriminations we've been talking about um, to have people that were really um, bearing the brunt of some of this um, discriminatory and destructive behavior um, turn around and redeem the land which had been abused by those that took the land without any right and and then have that land have the power to restore others is a very compelling story of not just resurrection and resilience, but redemption in the deepest sense of the word. Um, and I love the fact that um, part of your vision is that walking in this space, you know, uh, that's been restored and, and redeemed uh, becomes literally in some respects, a return to that garden, that holy place where God's presence is lifted up and made available to all and in, is inviting people into the experience of God's creation's power to heal us. I think all of us have had experience of, of the healing power of creation in different forms and whether it's just the inspiration of, um, of the landscape and the beauty of God's creation feeding our souls, or whether it's um, in other more specific practical ways of um, nurturing the land and benefiting from uh, some of the produce of the land, uh, some of it that has medicinal value, um, or whether it's just the actual uh, act of walking in sacred spaces that have been carved out of the land um, in a life-giving way as part of our prayer and meditation um, that strengthens body, mind, soul, and spirit all at the same time. All of those are elements of the offering that you are giving back to this community in spite of the journey that you were, in essence, um, forced to follow in the earlier days. Um, and that speaks with incredible power about your witness and your faithfulness and the way that you are raising up 
the gift of hope and redemption for all of us. You're absolutely right, Bishop. I appreciate that. And maybe we should call our prayer garden Eden. It had not occurred mm -hmm. to me before this conversation, but perhaps we should call it Eden. Um, it's, it's clear that you have a passion for racial reconciliation, for creation care. And I know you said these priorities came from conversations throughout the diocese, and yet that resonated with something deep inside you. Um, how did you get involved or have passion concerning uh, racial reconciliation and creation care? Where, uh, did you have a formative story uh, from early life or something in your path, past that really pushed you in that direction? I think so. Uh, and some of it really came out of my family experience. Uh, it was deeply uh, ingrained in, in, me, uh, in me and in my sisters growing up. Um, my parents in particular um, had a real passion for fairness. Um, and, and that may sound simplistic, but the reality was um, that, that very early on in the civil rights movement, they were very clear that things needed to change. Um, my father at one point even contemplated going to uh, Alabama during uh, some of the race, uh, uh, the, the, um, the marches um, that were uh, to take a stand against the racism that was being expressed there and being um, in violent ways visited upon people of color. Um, in addition, uh, just at, at home, there was always um, a, a real clarity that everyone was a child of God, that everyone should be treated the same and everyone should have equal access um, to resources, to opportunities and to gifts. And so that was kind of the bedrock foundation. Um, and I think that formed me at an early uh, at an early time in my life in a way that uh, wherever along my journey, there were instances where I was awakened to injustice, unfairness, mistreatment, um, or abuse of any form, uh, I was prepared by those early formative years to speak out, to take a stand, and to be willing to take action on behalf and with those who were being either marginalized, uh, mistreated, neglected, or abused. Um, and so that it is fundamental and it's deeply connected to my faith. That's um, always been a part of, for me, the Christian journey and what it means to walk the way of Jesus and to walk in the way of love. What gives you hope these days? There are a lot of things uh, that give me hope and sometimes I get accused of being uh, you know, always a little bit too optimistic and the glass half full. Um, but uh, there, there are several things um, that give me hope from the story that you tell. Uh, one is that even people who have been on the receiving end of uh, really abusive treatment and discriminatory treatment uh, do not let that define who they are. Uh, when people choose their own identity as children of God, anything becomes possible. And it doesn't matter um, uh, in the long run, it doesn't matter what is said or done in terms of defining them because they have already chosen to define themselves in a way that has 
more power, more um, uh, capacity, and also um, bears witness to what, what our faith teaches us. Um, and uh, the people of St. Ambrose embody that spirit. Um, it is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and they have embraced that fully in the way that they've engaged, not just in this particular initiative with uh, the creation and using uh, your work in the environment uh, to redeem uh, both a place, but also uh, redeem an earlier time. Uh, but you all are doing that work day in and day out in the other ways that you connect with and partner with the community. One of our other priorities is collaboration and you are deeply connected in partnerships uh, in the neighborhood uh, and in Raleigh and, in, and beyond. Uh, really in Wake County, you're uh, taking a leadership role in Wake One, which helps um, bring the community together around issues, including affordable housing, um, and access to uh, jobs and proper wages. Uh, these are other expressions of God's justice that give me hope um, that you all are providing leadership for and that speak to the priorities that we've discerned together are God's priority for our mission at this time in the diocese. Um, above and beyond that, uh, I think there's a connection between your worship and your life of prayer and your resiliency and your activism in bearing witness. Um, and you lived that out in a powerful way. Whenever I'm with you for a visitation, uh, the richness of your worship strengthens all of us to do the work that God has given us to do. And there's always direct connection between worship and active service in the world. And that uh, that is part of what makes the church. Um, it's part of the unique gift that we have to offer to the world. And you all as a congregation and as a community have been living that out faithfully uh, for many decades. Um, and it's very evident in the work that you're doing today. Thank you so much, Bishop Sam. It's been an honor to have the Right Reverend Samuel Rodman uh, Bishop Diocesan for the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina. Uh, it's been good conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Jamond, and continue to be grateful for your leadership and for the great work of St. Ambrose and for your prayer and, and your witness. The Wading Deep podcast comes to you from a place we affectionately call the Bros, St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, The Bros NC on Twitter, and The Bros 1868 on Instagram. I am your host, the Reverend Jamond Taylor. Gods are going to trouble the water of environmental racism, resurrecting a river of life clear as crystal. Shalom. Salam. Peace.